0: Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. Hi, I'm Sonia Larea. And we are so excited to have you guys for episode forty-one. It is alienation, bureaucracy, and consumption. There's a lot there, as you can imagine, just by hearing the title. But uh, we're glad to be back. We've been we took a little minute break, and we're but we're here. We're not going anywhere. <laughs>
1: Sonia, what's up, girl? Well, we're back. I missed it. Um, Well, you know, I was doing some traveling, so I was kind of out of pocket, and, god, the time just went by. It really did. Yeah, we kept talking about doing this, and then uh, every, you know, minute would go by, and now we're back. But um, it's good. It's good to be back.
0: It's good to be back. I think it's also um, the reality of, like, the pace of life, picking back up post, post-pandemic post or post-lockdown. We're not out of the yeah. pandemic, but right. post-lockdown. And so I think our schedules were slowly picking back up. And then about the time we've just, you know, did our last episode, it was just like, you know, picking back up to much more normal pace. Although, as you know, I've said, I'm only working 30 hours a week, people. <laughs> because <laughs> i want to have some type of a quality of life and work life balance. so but still even in that it's it's amazing how hard it's been it, it can be at times to really find time
1: mm-hmm.
0: to do stuff. i mean when you're not paid to do this it's really you you have to be very intentional about wanting to do it and you also just have to be kind of lucky enough to have the time for it and not have other things pulling you know. yeah
1: And I know we both have used the word "busy" that we don't like to use, but I mean, our world that we live in—it's just unfortunately that's kind of a lifestyle in the United States. Is you're busy, even if you are working part time, you're busy.
0: That is correct.
1: To to do other stuff, don't you?
0: That is correct. Isn't that wild? I mean, we don't talk about that on this podcast at all, (laughs) do we? Yeah, right. It is actually funny that you mentioned that because. One of the things I've realized since going to this 30-hour work week, which I'm happy about that I did it, but I still feel like it's crazy. I still feel like I don't have enough time to really have space to, like, let things be spontaneous, let, you know, let life happen, you know, give myself space to be creative and be, you know, journal, meditate, and you know.
1: I hear you. They've done studies. It's interesting you say that about part-time. I mean, even with part-time work, people are still overwhelmed. And I know we've touched on this so much in the podcast, but it's like the culture that we live in doesn't really support us doing other things other than working.
0: Right. Right. we're, we're going to talk about that. Um, today, you know, uh, Frome talks in this next chapter of the sane society, uh, man in capitalistic society, he talks about how, um, how much it just consumes our lives, you know, work, and we're we're conditioned to believe that this is the only thing. And and also, you um, know, an article that we're going to discuss as well. So, anyways, uh, more more of the the wonderful topics tonight than we that we normally talk about. But we've just been kind of getting back to a a more I don't know normal more typical rhythm of mm-hmm. life in this society. And, you know, I've been in the gym again, which has been so nice and playing soccer again, which has been so nice. So that's great. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to be back and good to be here. And we're excited. We have actually we're going to be pulling from multiple different sources today and kind of do things a teensy bit differently. Not not terribly, but a right, teensy right.
1: bit differently. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to remind viewers who maybe are just tuning in or if they forgot that this is the book, Eric from the Sane society mm-hmm. that we're talking about. There's a lot of good stuff in here. Yes. And all of Eric from's is Good
0: man. Let me tell you something. We talked a little bit about the art of loving, which is another one of his books in February of this year. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. this year went by fast anyway, but I will, I have to say that there's parts of that book, that are towards the end that are incredible. And they line up so well with the things, the themes that we've already discussed and that we do discuss on the podcast. So it's everywhere. In fact, I have the art of loving here just in case, you know, I have like my little tabs here in case we, you know, spontaneously talk, talk about something that kind of overlaps with that. So yes, um, we're on the same track. We all, we just highly recommend his stuff. Um, if you like what we're talking about, you're likely going to enjoy his his writings.
1: Absolutely. Well, what we yeah. were going to do tonight um, for people, it's going to read, I'm going to read some of uh, Fromm's uh, statements in here in this chapter, The Man in Capitalistic Society, and then we're going to chat about it. So yeah. are we ready, Lacey?
0: I'm ready. Yeah, let's do it. Okay.
1: Okay. All right. So the first uh, part I'm going to read here is... Work is becoming more repetitive and thoughtless as the planners, the micro-motionists, and the scientific managers further strip the worker of his right to think and move freely. Life is being denied. Need Mm. to control, creativeness, curiosity, Mm -hmm. and independent thought are being balked, and the result, the inevitable result, is flight or fight on the part of the worker, apathy or destructiveness, psychic regression.
0: Mm. So let's
1: start with that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot there. Huh? There's a lot to unpack there.
0: I, I mean, let's just start at, at the end. Psychic regression. I mean, you tell me if you think that um, some of our ability to focus now post social media and all of technology hasn't decreased I would say as someone who worked with kids and has been working in the school system previously, and I've definitely watched technology have an impact on a child's ability to just be present in the moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, enjoy your story. But versus like, oh,
1: my gosh, I'm so used to being simulated. Ah,
0: you know, uh, YouTube yeah. videos. This is boring.
1: <laughs> right. I don't you know? think we all, we even know yet what the impact's going to be like 20 years from now. We'll see, say, the generation when they've grown up, how, you know, this environment is affecting them. Um, mm-hmm. What sticks out to me about this paragraph is where he talks about work being repetitive and thoughtless, which I think there's a lot of jobs that we see that. Um, And I think where he also brings up the um, part about life being denied, you know, if you think about being in a working environment that you aren't really being, I don't, I don't want to say fulfilled because not everything you do is going to be necessarily fulfilling, but if it creates apathy, and you're just sort of like, I think we've talked about this with Rome being an automaton. You're just yeah. kind of going through emotions and you're really um, separate from the work. You know, it's just you're doing a task yeah. re- repeatedly over and over. And this was written, I think, was it in the 50s?
0: 55. Yeah. Yeah. 55.
1: So he's talking about that then. And so you see already that he's, you know, he's talking about, themes that we're definitely we're confronted with today. And obviously this was with the industrial revolution that this started, but it's just mm-hmm. that the, the worker I think loses like his humanity, right? Being in these yeah. environments.
0: Yeah, I think the, the repetitiveness um, is a big deal and the be, extracting um, the uh, process from a worker, and putting them in one piece of the process of something. Mm-hmm. So I'll give an example. Um, I'm gonna use an events example. So let's say that I'm you know, doing an event um, and I'm helping someone and I'm gonna plan the event and I'm gonna be at the event and I'm gonna run the event. If, um, if my only role is to just, I don't know, set up the chairs, that's the only thing I'm supposed mm-hmm. to do, is set up the chairs at the event. I'm going to be a lot less worried about whether the chairs are great and I did and they are what the person wants at the event. Then if I'm like, was at the beginning, had a conversation with the people, this is the kind mm-hmm. of um, event they want to have. These are the kind of people, this is the kind of atmosphere, the vibe, the blah, blah, blah. And then I'm with them through the whole process from the beginning to the end. Now, obviously this is different than an example that from would have used maybe building a table or a chair, Um, and you're only just the person just sticking the leg in the table or chair. And so it's very easy to become alienated from the process or Mm -hmm. disinterested or, or, or just numb to the whole thing because it's like, wow, I'm putting a, 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 there's no purpose. There's no deeper meaning and there's no human connection behind what's happening.
1: I would, I would even say there's like there's lack of accountability. The alienation is good, excellent. Um, and I'm going to get into like the bureaucracy part. But what makes me think of your example, I think it's a great example. I see is then if you're the person just doing the chairs, you don't care about anything else, and you just care that you get paid for that. And have you ever mm. heard people say, well, you know, I did my part and I got my money. I don't care, like I don't care what the outcome is. I don't care who I'm affecting, if it hurts yeah. people, if it helps people. So yet yeah, that to me makes me think of alienating, you know, you're alienated from your, from humanity, from, from other people because you're not part of the whole picture. Right.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny. This is reminding me of something that happened. I think it was today, but definitely this week. So I was leaving the gym and I went through this stoplight that, um, if you aren't close enough to it, you really can't see it. And someone, (laughs) someone obviously decided to put a light, another light, an additional light, like a little further up before you go around the corner. So you could see ahead of time Mm -hmm. what was going on. And I was thinking, wow, like that was thoughtful of them to do that. Um, And I was thinking, you know, like obviously somebody really cared about this intersection Mm -hmm. because they decided that they want, they wanted to do that and make it extra safe. And I thought, I wonder who that person was and then I thought most people probably don't think about that. They don't think about there was not actually a person behind that decision of right. of caring to put a a light closer up. And it's like instead we just we don't think in a in that way about these types of things. We just think oh that's well, the department of transportation that's in charge of that. Right. But in reality there's a human and there are humans who care more maybe i mean who are more passionate about their work or i don't know how you want to say it. And it just reminded me and this kind of connects to the bureaucracy part of how much we have decoupled work from individuals and we've coupled it with a big bureaucratic organization. And that makes it easier for people not to take responsibility or get credit
1: for. Yeah. When you were talking about this, you know what I was thinking about is that we're not thinking in a collective way. We're thinking in a selfish individual way. And Mm -hmm. the negative of that is that all of our actions affect, you know, other people. You know, when we're going to a store or all the things that we do, just our day to day life, I mean, there's a whole process behind the things that we do and how we get what we need, whether it's you know your food or your you know goods. and we're we're just so disconnected from that. So to me, that's the alienation. And then if you take yeah. that the next step, what you're talking about the bureaucracy is, and I'm sure everyone can relate to this, we've all dealt at one time or another with bureaucracy. And mm-hmm. we see how uh, challenging it is to get anything done. And then I even feel bad sometimes for the people in those environments, because if you're stuck in that environment, you just have a limited role. Like you're not allowed to do, make a decision. You're just doing doing the chairs. Exactly. (laughs) So you're, you're, you're powerless. Right. And that we have a lot of institutions that are that way. So it Mm -hmm. just, it hurts, you know, it hurts uh, a lot, all of us, I guess, you know, basically.
0: Yeah. I love too, about this, paragraph that you read, life is being denied. And I think there's so much depth here because I think for many people who are used to a society like ours that is so entrenched in work and workism, that could be a sentence that is very difficult to understand the deeper meaning behind. But life is being denied because, I mean, I think I've mentioned this before, but um, when we're not autonomous we're not alive you know like we we there's so much more to life than typing Mm -hmm. on a screen and receiving emails and responding and doing something that's not from the core of our being does that make sense like going to a job we're doing it because we're trying to just feed ourselves and eat and whatever it's not like i woke up this morning and man just, I wanted to do a cartwheel. So I just learned how to do a cartwheel. You know what I'm saying? And there's, that's more valuable because it's in comes from inside it's intrinsic. Right. And so there's so much more to this too, than just the autonomy. There's also the connection to other people, um, just time spent together. I mean, relationships, conversations, connection love i mean there's a lot that we don't make space for with yeah, how that, obsessed
1: that. we are yeah. and i think um it all goes back to we're not getting rewarded for those things that you're talking about we're getting rewarded to do the job where we need yeah. the money in order yeah. to live
0: <laughs> so yes. it's
1: just um it's it's challenging it's i tweeted
0: so. i tweeted something um that i, I think fits this i'm going to read it um, from my Twitter. It's at Lacey Delane, if anybody wants to to follow me. But I tweeted this as I said, the joy of life is in knowing and being known, experiencing and being experienced. In other words, in being. And so I think that there's a connection there to life being denied, because how can you know and be known whenever you're scared to be vulnerable and open up and be genuine and talk to people because society has conditioned you in that way. And you don't even have time to, th- to know who you are and be jo- vulnerable and talk to somebody about how you really feel and, and, and have, you know, a deep connection with another person because you're too busy working <laughs> or yes. running around doing something that's related to work. You see what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this is the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So I'm going to go on to a next paragraph that I Mm -hmm. have here. Okay. This paragraph uh, from is actually quoting an author called uh, Drucker. He wrote Peter Drucker wrote concept of the corporation, just so that people know um, Mm -hmm. where I'm coming from here. As Drucker puts it very succinctly in fine. It is the large corporation, the specific form in which big business is organized in a free enterprise economy which has emerged as the representative and determining socioeconomic institution, which sets the pattern and determines the behavior even of the owner of the corner cigar store who never owned a share of stock and of his errand boy who never set foot in a mill. And thus the character of our society is determined and patterned by the structural organization of big business, the technology of the mass production plant and the degree to which our social beliefs and promises are realized in and by the large corporations. Mm. So mm. what do you think of when you hear that, Lacey? Yeah,
0: I mean, it, it. what I'm hearing is that corporate world, big business corporations are so much more Impactful to our way of life than we even realize. I mean, it's very obvious that big business is squelching out small business, right? And I think Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think th- there are certain people, pundits on TV who love to say, oh, America's all about small businesses. But if you look, that's not what's happening at all. And, you know, no. FYI, basic income would do a hell of a job of helping small businesses. But the reality is, this is true. And again, people, he's saying this in 1955. So it was already happening to an extent in 1955, that was visible to the the thought, the thinking person. It's just gotten more and more and more and more now in 2021. So yeah, that's what it makes me think is, you know, like, big businesses really, really have such a huge impact on our day-to-day way of life. That, I think, is a big takeaway from that paragraph. Yeah, I,
1: I don't think we have an awareness of how much we are affected. And what I like that he talks about is that our social beliefs and promises are realized in and by the large corporations. We don't realize how much the corporations are influencing us. Um, yeah. At this point, when he's, you know, discussing this, he's talking about the mass production plant, which, of course, we, we know that exists in our day and age. He couldn't even imagine the companies that are the most powerful today, which we know are like the Facebooks, the Googles, um, all of the tech companies that are literally, mm-hmm. you know, influencing our behavior.
0: Well you know it's funny because b- before we started the show I was like hey let's think of some examples on this Sonia and um I, you know and she's and you said you know social media and I'm like such a great point you don't have to think too too hard about it I mean I, I don't know how many times have you been out in public I know this has happened to me so many times and people are waiting for something let's say they're waiting for a table at a restaurant let's say they're waiting for the elevator let's say they're waiting wherever they're waiting. And what are they doing? But they're on their phone on social media. They're scrolling through some type of social media. And I am always, I feel like I've been super surprised by how much that happens. But anyway, it it shows, I mean, we did an episode on this, the social dilemma, how addicting it is, but also when something is that addicting and that much a part of our lives, of course, it's going to impact us and shape and mold how everyday life is. Um, yeah.
1: I, I, and I yeah. think we're swimming in it, honestly, because I was thinking myself, personal example, that I wanted to do like a break. I'm not a person that I, I would say is 24 seven on it, but I'm mm-hmm. sure that I have spent, you know, more time than I would like just because like you said, it's, you can go down the rabbit hole or where everything is, we're, we're really kind of plugged in, is the, what I would say. So even yeah. if you're not saying I'm going to go to the social media, maybe you're just checking like flight information or the weather or whatever, mm-hmm. it's drawing, it will draw you in. Yes. So y- you get sucked into that. And um, that's just a small example. I'm sure there's millions of examples that people could give us of their own lives. So yeah. I think we don't even know how much we're being influenced like yes we don't
0: yeah it's true and i mean think about how many people don't watch the news anymore they get their news from social media they they keep in touch with family and friends from social media some people aren't like they they don't talk to their family or they just use so- social media to do that. So it really has become this very, m- very much um, molding and shaping a lot of how we do things. Um, and uh, like Instagram, I know there a lot of people, a lot of people are doing business through Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's almost possible. I feel like it's almost, it's unheard of. I feel like for an, anyone to have a business or a podcast or a something and not have an Instagram. And then when you think about like recently, Instagram and Facebook and WhatsApp were shut down. Remember that they were like Mm -hmm. down. And then there's people whose livelihoods. Oh yeah, I did know know
1: that there. Yeah, they couldn't get their orders. And so we're so, and this is what's kind of scary about that is not that, okay, great, that's a tool, but think of how dependent they are when that company shuts down. That's the danger that I see. Mm -hmm that Mm -hmm. we know we're really getting into the whole big brother that was, you know, back in the, whatever, well, probably in this era where they were talking about the big brother, you know, overseeing Mm -hmm. us. We're already living, we're living that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And and it's funny you brought up the family thing, the communication. What I was going to say is I know people, they've heard of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. That's not an issue for me, but what I do notice is that when you're not in the loop, say you, Instagram is a good example, and somebody took a trip in your family or did something, and everybody says, Oh, did you see they were such and such place? And you're thinking, Well, I didn't see that. Like you're missing out on knowledge if you're not keeping up with people. So I think there's an element of feeling like I have to be, you know, in touch instead of like your old fashioned telephone, you're looking at Instagram to see.
0: Right. Well, and even, and the flip side of that, I think, is true too. Like I think maybe in people's heads, they're like, yeah, but I posted it on Facebook, so I communicated it to you. You didn't know. Right, exactly.
1: Exactly. It's like, like they're party. Do
0: we, yeah. Do we realize how impersonal that is?
1: You yes. know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, anyway. yeah, It's crazy. So, yes. um, yeah. So, moving right along, I have, this is a really good one. This is about consumption, which I know um, we've actually probably addressed all these things we've addressed on our podcast, but I'll read a bit here. Yeah. The process of consumption is as alienated as the process of production. In the first place, we acquire things with the money. We are accustomed to this and take it for granted. But actually, this is a most peculiar way of acquiring things. Money represents labor and effort in an abstract form, not necessarily my labor and my effort, since I can have acquired it by inheritance, by fraud, by luck, or any number of ways. But even if I've acquired it by my effort, forgetting for the moment that my effort might not have brought me the money were it not for the fact that I employed men, I have acquired it in a specific way, by a specific kind of effort corresponding to my skills and capacities. While in spending, the money is transformed into an abstract form of labor and can be exchanged against anything else. Provided I am in the possession of money no effort or interest of mine is necessary to acquire something and this next part i really like if i have the money i can acquire an exquisite painting even though i may not have any appreciation for art i can buy the best phonograph even though i have no musical taste taste i can buy a library even though i have um sorry although i use it only for for the purpose of ostentation i can buy an education even though i have no use for it except as an additional social asset. I can even destroy the painting or the Mm -hmm. books I bought, and aside from a loss of money, I suffer no damage. Mere possession of money gives me the right to acquire and to do with my acquisition whatever I like. The human way of acquiring would be to make an effort qualitatively commensurate with what I acquire. The acquisition, this is perfect, the acquisition of bread and clothing would depend on no other premise than that of being alive.
0: Yeah. And then the next part, which I think is really cool, the acquisition of books and paintings on my effort to understand them and my ability to use them. Mm -hmm. How this principle could be applied practically is, is not the point, he says. But I think that's really cool. It's kind of like, you know, it goes back to the principle of possession, you know, if you possess something, then you can just do whatever the hell you want with it. You can abuse Correct. it. You can, you know, what if it's your child, then nobody can tell you that you can't do X, Y, Z to it. If it's your dog, you can do whatever you want with it. If it's your chair, you can do whatever. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But instead of that, instead of um, doing it that way, the acquisition, he's saying of books and paintings, has to do with my ability to understand
1: them mm-hmm. and then,
0: you know, appreciate them and use them. I love that.
1: I love that. Yeah. Yeah. He says, what matters is that the way we acquire things is separated from the way in which we use them. That's yes. perfect. It's
0: super interesting. I haven't thought about this. And honestly, I've read this book before, but I didn't remember this passage. And I really think it's super interesting because he's saying basically, you have to put in effort to make money. But Mm -hmm. you really don't have to put in effort to acquire anything. And so that makes it a totally different situation for, you know, the acquiring of the thing. Like, if you had to put in effort to be able to acquire the thing, that would be a lot more human. And I would argue we would have a lot more value. There would be a lot more value placed on whatever it is that we were acquiring. We respect it more. You know? Right. Uh,
1: yeah. He says money represents labor and effort in an abstract form, which is yeah. exactly what you're saying. And then the part that what you're saying is actually appreciating, you know, you, I don't think we tie the two. That's why he says that the consumption is an alienated process is as alienated as the process of production. Mm-hmm. And I like the part that he says the acquisition of bread and clothing would depend on no other premise than that of being alive. Which is something we've talked about a lot on the podcast, like with UBI and just the fact you're a human being, so you can have bread and clothing, you know. Yeah, you can eat basic needs, and so From is really putting into perspective. You're right; it's a different way to think about money and consumption than I think that the way that we've sort of been Mm. culturally um, conditioned to think about. Yeah,
0: yeah, very interesting. And he says that just like production has become an alienated process. Consumption has too. Um, So that's cool. I I did not, I honestly, I really didn't think of it that way at all.
1: Yeah. And I think when I think of consumption too, is that we don't relate, you know, we're not relating to the objects. A lot of times we're just consuming kind of mindlessly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very um, true in the society today. And we're not really we're not really thinking about we're not attached to that we're attached to the consumption rather than the item, as you were saying earlier. Yeah, I think it's actually the the process of consuming. Hmm. Does that make Looking sense good. to
0: you? <laughs> yeah, and he t- he says this a little further on page one thirty five, the middle. He says, "Man okay. today." Is- is fascinated by the possibility of buying more, better, and especially new things. He is consumption hungry. The act of buying and consuming has a, has become a compulsive, irrational aim because it is an end in itself with little relation to the use of or pleasure in the things bought and consumed. To, the, to buy the latest gadget, the latest model of anything that is on the market, is the dream of everybody. So, Mm -hmm. true, man, think about new iPhone. (laughs) Yeah. In comparison to which the real pleasure in use is quite secondary. That reminds me of going shopping in multiple different places and coming home with four different bags and getting home and being like, what did I buy again? (laughs) Have you ever done that before? I've done that at Christmas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, definitely in a holiday time. You know what? This is also interesting. And I don't know that from, um, well, he probably did because he was so advanced thought about the climate change. There's a part here that he writes, we consume as we produce without any concrete relatedness to the objects with which we deal. We live in a world of things and our only connection with them is that we know how to manipulate or consume them. And what I I thought about that is, yeah, if we're consuming like that, um, we're not thinking about like the toll it's taking on the planet or other Mm -hmm. people, the labor of other people.
0: Yeah. Well, and I've heard him say to, you know, he's saying here it's compulsive. Right. And it's irrational. And I've heard him say in other writings that it's also it's an attempt to quell an anxiety that Mm -hmm. needs that can only be quelled by self-awareness and slowing down and knowing ourselves, you know, and that's just one way we run away from ourselves basically is by buying compulsively, you know?
1: Yeah. And I know that when I brought up the latest gadget, we talked, I threw out iPhone, right? Yeah. So that segues into something that just blew my mind when I read it, because I know from wasn't living in this air. Yeah. He writes, um, The Kodak slogan, if for people don't know Kodak, Kodak camera, you press the button, we do the rest, which Mm -hmm. since 1889 has helped so much to popularize photography all over the world is symbolic. Mm -hmm. It is one of the earliest appeals to push button power feeling. You do nothing. You do not have to know anything. Everything is done for you. All you have to do is press the button.
0: Tell me if that doesn't sum up everything about our society right now
1: i know that's what's so, all it blew me that's away
0: yeah. you, don't, you don't need to know anything you don't need to have knowledge just press the button
1: on yeah. google you'll know <laughs> yeah and then then i'll just do a little more here he says being constantly occupied with taking pictures actually he does not see anything at all except through the intermediary of the camera mm. the camera sees for him and the outcome of his pleasure trip is a collection of snapshots, which are the substitute for an experience which mm. he could have had, but mm. did not have man mm. is not only alienated from the work he does and the things and pleasures he consumes, but also from the social forces, which determine our society and the life of everybody. Yeah. In the People are good. They're
0: oblivious. And that's exactly how I feel like the powers that be who are winning the most and i would mostly say financially from the way things are that's how they want it you know there's a george carlin uh stand up that i shared with sonia this week where he talks about like it's a big club and you yeah. ain't in it <laughs> yeah. that's the way they like it they don't want that they don't want you to think critically they don't want you to be intelligent yeah yeah, that's there, good. yeah it was funny there's so much here um there's so much here i i kind of want to start back at the top okay and think about the push button power feeling. I mean, I, I want to drill into it a little bit just because this is so much of real, our real day-to-day life. I mean, let's just think about things that we push a button and we feel powerful and it does something. Um, car is one of car. them, right? Mm-hmm. Push the button, start it, right? We didn't really do anything. We just push the button. What else?
1: Buying online, click.
0: Click, exactly. Uh, buying <laughs> online, Social media, um, click. Yeah. typing, click, and people follow you, people like. Um, yeah, I mean, it's
1: just- Dating, click.
0: Maybe. Dating, dating. I mean, so much of this <laughs> is we are not engaged, right? We're not actually doing anything. We're just pressing a button. So much yeah. of our lives are just pressing. <laughs> reminds me of this song that we sang when I was a kid. I don't know if you have. <laughs> um, it goes hi my name is Jim I have a wife and three kids and I work in a button factory one day my boss came to me and said joe are you busy i said no push this button with your left hand and during the thing you you press and then you sing it again and he goes no push this button with your right hand and then you, and you keep going and then it's like <laughs> Well, that's but key. that's what we do. Everything is a button to push. Everything, right. social, right. like our our apps, our fo- going to the bank is a button. You see what I'm saying? It's yeah. a button. Yeah. And and,
1: mm-hmm. and I think he's really hitting on something where he I mean, imagine this was since 1889. He's basically yeah. saying that you're you're getting out of the present because you're just in this process, like where mm-hmm. he says about being a tourist that you're not seeing anything, you're not really experiencing it. You're just you know, pushing the button, pushing the button for the Mm, snapshots.
0: Even with the pictures. Wow. Well, I love that um, example about how taking the picture brings you out of the present moment, because that's something that I'm really not. I mean, I will do it every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I'm not the girl who's like, let's take a picture. Let's take a picture. Because I'm like, I don't want to take a fucking picture. (laughs) I want to be right here. You know, like, I just want to experience it, you know?
1: I know you've, we all live in this world, of course, because we can easily take these pictures with our phones. So one thing, I I probably brought this up to you, Lacey, is, okay, you're in an event and somebody wants one picture. And I'm like, okay, I get it. They want to get a picture. But then in the 20th picture, you're thinking, all I'm doing is posing for pictures. I'm not even talking to people. I'm not enjoying the moment. I'm caught up in this whole, you know, scenario of documenting documenting it and it it, it loses then it starts to become really depressing <laughs> for me at least. especially now
0: with the p- photos being instantaneous I mean i you know not to give away my age but I definitely was around whenever photos were like you took the film to the store and they oh, developed you, yeah. right but now it's instant right and so in our minds while we're taking the picture we can already be thinking what we're going to do with the picture right right
1: talk so about
0: not being at yeah. all this is not yeah. about what you're doing right now it's about what you're going to be able to get from getting this picture you know it's and this is this is how we lose sight of what really makes us alive which is a connection to each other and to a moment to an experience that's what we live for this is how we connect this is how we can truly love. These are the types of experiences that make, you know, in a romantic relationship, the sexual part of the relationship so much more fulfilling. Right. And yeah. we're losing out on all this because yeah. of all this capitalistic greed is the yeah. root.
1: Yes. Yes. We're losing out on like life. And um, one of the things we do when we're reading this or I do um, is I just see examples of this every single day. And, and Lacey and I, we share articles or just even anecdotes, And an article that um, I had read and I shared with Lacey in the New York Times, it was on work. It was called The Future of Work Should Mean Working Less. Mm. And I'll just tell you, it's a great article. But a theme that I love, and it just talks so perfectly with what Fromm's saying, is mm-hmm. the author saying, we exist to do more than just work. Yes, And the purpose of our human life is more than work. And we need to see the value of each person. And what it's interesting, the way the article starts out is people say, I will never spend like X number of hours in traffic. I will never miss my son's, you know, soccer game. I will.
0: yeah. yeah. Uh Yeah. And
1: they go on telling all their stories because they realize, wow, like I'm wasting away in quote unquote a job.
0: And yes. I'm missing
1: what you're talking about just now, even just living. Yes, because we're being forced to go into these jobs that we don't necessarily like and you know suffer through through you know traffic and, or hours or whatever it is. And
0: even if we did like it, it's still the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right? it's still it's still using our own powers, our own human powers. For the advancement of someone else's desire, right? And we can be the most alive and the most human and and experience the most well-being when we're doing that for ourselves. It's like that's how we're really supposed to be. I mean, if it's stri- if it it strikes you funny that we're even saying that we need to work less, that tells you that there's a problem, guys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hello, hello. Right. And there's Plenty of countries that don't live like this. I mean, I know
1: I, we've we've I mean, yeah yeah we've, we've, we've both talked, talked about, about yeah about other yeah. places, and I think it's also what the values are because I would say that you know your job or your lack of a job doesn't define your human worth. Um, yes, and unfortunately, yeah. we we tie that to um, who we are and what we are, and and it. I think what you know I see is that we're supposedly in our country pro-family and, you know, I don't know, pro-morality. Um, we don't, I mean, to me, it's kind of, it's it's immoral that people have to define themselves by uh, working. You know, we have to, we have to be more than that.
0: You know what? It's insane. That's what it is. <laughs> well, listen, right. here's, here's a, um, here's a quote from that article. This is really good. Um, As it is, work sits at the heart of Americans' vision of human flourishing. Okay, let's just let that sink in for a second, guys. That is true, okay? It's much more than how we earn a living. It's how we earn dignity, the right to count in society and enjoy its benefits. Okay, if you're sitting there thinking that's not true, just think about homeless people for just one second, and that is true. It's how we prove our moral character. You can't grow up and not work. How 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 do parents measure whether they do a good job with their kids? Are they good workers? Right. <laughs> it's where we seek meaning and purpose, which many of us interpret in spiritual terms. And I I think a lot of people would say, "But yes, but you do need meaning and purpose in life." Agreed, totally. And you need to get it from work. Disagree. You we I feel like work is a place that we can get meaning and purpose mm-hmm. However, what we need for meaning and purpose is a connection with other human beings in which we are helping and being helped where we're contributing to the group to a whole uh, to the whole that does not have to be in the context of work that can be in the context of living it can be totally different than work
1: yeah. I, I second that. Um, in the article, and I don't know if you recall, so I'm just going by my memory, the mm-hmm. author quotes, uh, there's a woman who, she's in academia, and she gets yeah. ill, and then she can't work. So she realized yes. by not working, and I think she liked her job. It wasn't that she didn't like her job. She's like, who am I? What am I now that I can't work? And so I think she starts painting or doing artistic stuff. So she has to rediscover and find other things, because Yes. We're not saying that work, if you like your job or, you know, you actually f- do get a degree of fulfillment, that's great, but you have to have more than work. And I yes. agree with your what you're saying, Lacey, is being a contributing member of society and being connected to something bigger than, you know, your, your job. Um, yeah. And I think people probably found themselves in this situation, no matter what the circumstances are. Like I said, if you don't like your job or you do, if you can't do that job in the, anymore, who are you?
0: Yes. Yes. Well, I felt that a lot at the beginning of the pandemic, the lockdown. And I think for me personally, I mean, I didn't work most of the pandemic, most of the lockdown and for much of, of the pandemic so far. I mean, I just started really working again in June of this year. But what I took away from it was this. Realization of how important it is to to not work. To <laughs> <laughs> have time not working, and yeah, and that's you know actually way more important. Yeah. It was a hard to get there, but I'm glad um, that
1: that came out of the pandemic for sure for a lot of people. I, I believe, oh, yeah, agreed.
0: I, I want to sum it up with this, and I know we're wrapping up,
1: but okay. also
0: from this um, work uh, article, the point is to subordinate work to life. That was such a powerful uh, line for me. Isn't when I good? read that.
1: Yes, I was like, okay, work to life."
0: okay, <laughs> what do I want my life to look like? What do I want? Okay, now, how does work fit into that? That's really, you know, a life is what each of us needs to get, wrote Dr. Weeks, and you can't get one without freedom from work's domination. That's the damn truth. That said, she continues, one cannot get something as big as a life on one's own, and I don't know exactly what the implication is there, other than we need some societal adjustments in order to make that happen. Is that what you picked up from that?
1: Yeah, I think what you said earlier, I think you hit it on the head is that you—it's other people, it's being part of a you know connect, connection with other people. That's how I would interpret it because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you can't do it alone. Yeah, that's how I'm reading
0: you, it. Do you want to take a second um, and just? Make any connections from um, Andrew oh, Yang's? Book yes, before.
1: I wanted to throw out to everybody because I am reading yeah. this. Okay, this and this I'm about halfway through.
0: Everybody okay. and y'all know many. I'm just gonna say really quick that obviously this just came out um, Andrew Yang's new book. Uh, of course, Sonia and I are supporters of him. Um, I have worked in the presidential campaign, and I'm about halfway. Well, probably maybe a little more than halfway through, and Sonia is also about the same. So there's some great yeah. connections to the topics uh, we no,
1: discussed, right? What I'd like to throw out for the audience on this: What's great about Andrew Yang is, to me, he's a contemporary. He's not living in the time of Rome, and yet he's discussing the same issues that we're mm-hmm. talking about. He talks about bureaucracy. Um, he talks about, you know, the value of people with like work, like we're talking about. He talks about UBI, which for people that don't know is Universal Basic Income. That's his big uh, push. Right. For us to have that, which would allow us like in Fromm's world to be to be caregivers, to be, you know, stay at home parents or to do whatever we just to be live our life, you know, universal. There we go. Universal health care. And so he gives a lot. He talks about how our institutions are broken. There's uh, some good examples there, like I said, of the bureaucratization. So I just throw that out there because I think it really aligns with a lot of Fromm's principles. So check it out.
0: Wasn't that, wasn't there something he writes in here about the teenager who cracks? Oh, yeah. So I'll
1: just summarize that. Summarize that, yeah. yeah. So during the pandemic, um, the CDC, unfortunately, which we all, you know, Centers for Disease Control uh, was in charge of dealing with this pandemic. And they couldn't, to just simplify it, they could not get their act together to compile all the data needed. Um, to see, I think, with the testing and who was getting sick. I I may be wrong on the facts specifically, but there was data they needed to get together. And they literally, there was nobody, nobody who was in charge. Like if it was like (laughs) a typical example of bureaucracy, you'd ask so-and-so, no, not me, not me, not me. And so Mm -hmm. Andrea points out that here's this high schooler with no budget, Lacey, And he puts together this incredible chart data, I don't know, probably a whole computer, you know, program because there's brilliant kids out there with zero budget and that the CDC, which has millions of dollars, could not do. So there you go. There's an example of how bureaucracy, you know, hurt us during a time of need at the pandemic. Their
0: excuse was we didn't have enough money to figure it out. (laughs) That's what they said from what I recall. And and it's like. That was their excuse, yeah. There's a high school kid who gets technology, very highly intelligent. He had zero dollars and he figured it out. Yeah, that's crazy.
1: Well, and go ahead. One other thing. Um mm-hmm. Lacey might want to plug. She's reading uh, from's book, Beyond the Chains of Illusion. So that yeah. has some good themes in it too, right? You,
0: do you want to, can I real quick? Yeah, just yeah talk about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I, we're going a little bit longer than we normally would guys, but it has been a minute. So it's totally yeah. fine. Okay. So this is, goes along with the idea of alienation, which we've mentioned multiple times. And I'm not sure, uh, you know, if that's something that maybe, you is foreign to you or maybe there could be a deeper understanding. So I'm just going to read this, read it. It's like, um, estrangement. The essence of this concept alienation, um, which was first developed by Hegel is that the world, nature, things, others, and he himself have become alien to man. He does not experience himself as the subject of his own acts. I love that. As the subject of his own acts. Like the reason he's doing it. The the active person in the acts. hit The subject of his own acts as a thinking, feeling, loving person. But he experiences himself only in the things he has created. As the object of the externalized manifestations of his powers. He's projecting his powers onto the things outside of himself. Instead of experiencing them himself. He is in touch with himself only by surrendering himself to the products of his creation. Um, Let's see. Uh, okay. I think that's, yeah, I think that's, that's enough. Yeah. Go ahead. If you want to share on that.
1: I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm interpreting this right, but to me, it's like he's more invested in the outcome of what he's doing as opposed to being, like you said, like he's is supposed to being. You said the subject, right, in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's like yeah, exactly. It's about something outside of himself versus him in the midst of it, him being present in it, with it, experiencing it, knowing it. You know, the yeah, worker. That's becomes- interesting. Okay, sorry. One last thing. The worker becomes poor, the more wealth he produces and the more his production increases in power and extent. All these consequences follow from the fact that the worker is related to the product of his labor Mm -hmm. as an alien object. For it is clear on this presupposition that the more the worker expends himself in work, the more powerful becomes the world of objects, which he creates in face of himself, the poorer he becomes in his inner life and the less he belongs to himself. That's good. Wow. The greater his activity, therefore the less he possesses the alienation of the worker in this, in his product means not only that his labor becomes an object assumes an external existence, but that it exists independently outside of himself, that it stands opposed to him as an autonomous power. Yeah, alienation is just like a wow, it's a powerful concept. Yeah,
1: yeah, check that book out. It's Chains of Illusion, right? Beyond the Chains
0: of Illusion. That's a, that's a, okay. Well,
1: it's a big, it's coming a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been so good. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And it's Friday night, it's 9 30 on the East Coast here in Atlanta. So, If you're going to go have fun tonight, I hope you have a great time. If you're going to stay home and have fun and read books and eat dinner, and I don't know what you're doing, but have a great time. We hope you have a great time.
1: Good to see you guys. Bye. Yeah,
0: good to see you. We'll see you next time on the Rethinking Humanity podcast. Bye.